So I've got a couple of giveaways. One, you know, we've been doing a house pack. We're calling this a house pack every week because uh, Shanika's book is in here. Chris's has a music offering in here. Uh, this is the new City Life part of our swag shop. So uh, we're going to give this to uh, Zach and Kimberly as they're here with the little Olivia. Because Shanika's book is a book for moms and dads to read to their daughters. So we're going to pass that on to them. So you're welcome, you're welcome. And then I've just got, this was not a planned part of our giveaway. I'm going to give these to Hannah and make sure that she's going to make sure they get to the right people. But this is to Jenny Bro and Wendy Peck for rocking some harmonies tonight. Can we just say that? I mean, were they just bringing it right during the worship set? There were some times where you could see it. They were just, it was like they were one person singing. There's, I see Jenny over there, and I'm not sure Wendy is where she is. I'm sure where she is, but, but they were just, and then during the specials, oh, come on, can we just, we're just going to give honor where honor is due, and there's some honor due there. All right. So I've got a slide that's getting ready to pop up here. We, we're in week two of Project Hope. This is a new series for us. We're going to be in this all the way up, I think, until Thanksgiving. And I've shared with you already, I think the word hope is going to be our word for 2015. Last year, we cast vision for the next year in September. I think that's going to be a trend for us. And so this series is a series that's taking us through the end of this year, but it's also setting us up for the year that's to come, and I'm going to be talking about it more in October, but I think this idea of hope is going to be something for us that's going to carry us much farther than 2015. So we are in the book of Ruth is, is where we're going to be working out of tonight, and so we're going to be part two in the book of Ruth. And, uh, and so last week we talked about this idea of, of, of when you hear the word hope, what do you think? Now we like moments of participation. We do those periodically here at City Life. And so different people had all kinds of things that they shared when we asked them, when you hear the word hope, what do you think of? And when you think of hope as a human emotion, it can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. But this series is not about an emotion of hope. This series is about the virtue of hope. And there's a big difference between a, the human emotion of hope and then the virtue of hope because the hope of a human emotion is circumstantial. It's based on your situation. But the virtue of hope is unchanging in spite of what your circumstances might be. We get this definition from Romans 4.18, which I believe is one of the great definitions of, of hope that you find in Scripture. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. When you can hope when there's no reason for hope, you've stepped out of the world of emotion and into the world of virtue. Love can be an emotion and love can be a virtue. You can go through so many different human emotions and when they're happening at a place in your life that's unaffected by your circumstances and your situation, then you begin to get into the world of character. First Peter 3.15, this is our life verse for this series, it talks about the kind of hope that causes the world to ask the question, where can I get some of that? It causes the world to ask the question, how is it possible that you're able to hope when there's no reason for hope? It's supposed to be part of our witness to the world. So Ruth 1, 
I think that's just, I think that's the, all there is in, in the first chapter, 1 through, through 22, but we're not going to read through that again tonight. If you're a note taker and you weren't here last week, I just want to give that to you, that all four of these, these principles that we're drawing out of comes out of this first chapter. We did two last week. We're going to do two uh, again tonight, and, and what we want to say is the, the book of Ruth falls into the category of a book of history, right? We said that last week. But just because it is an historical book does not mean it's not also a prophetic book. Because everything in the Bible, no matter where you classify it, has a prophetic edge, has a prophetic voice because it came from the heart of God. And so what we find here is some, some great prophetic imagery. So we looked at, there's four, we did two last week, and we're going to do two more of them together. The two we did last week are doubting God and choosing church, that if you want to be a person of hope, these are two important aspects. If you weren't here, you can get that on the podcast, but the first one is this idea that you've got to be honest with God about the feelings that are in your heart. So many people that are wrestling with doubt at times in their life, and they're embarrassed to share those feelings, and they stuff them deep down inside. Don't do that. Naomi didn't do that. She was open and honest about the doubts that she had, and that's one of the things that ended up taking her to a place of hope. This idea of choosing church, we saw Naomi, she was in Israel, which is a prophetic picture of the church, and then she left Israel and went to Moab, which is a prophetic picture of a secular godless society and then we see her coming home and so last week we talked about this idea that many of you have been wounded by churches in the past for good reason you've been disappointed just like Naomi there's a reason that you left Israel and went to Moab but now like Naomi it's time to come back home it's time to return to the people of God and that's part of your journey of rediscovering hope so so the first one that we're going to do tonight is embracing intimacy now I've already lost half the men in the room when that slide came up on the screen right one, because the word intimacy appeared up there, and then secondly, because the word embrace, which involves physical contact, and some of them, they're leaving right, right there, saying, we're out of here, I can't, I don't want to talk about that. And so what, what we would say is, hey, women have to spend their whole life relating to all the men of the Bible, right? Can we just say that, ladies, right? Abraham and Moses and Paul, and it, right, every now and again, men have to relate to some of the women of the Bible, so I would say to you tonight, men, take your turn, Right? Quit your crying. All right, we're going to relate to Naomi a little bit tonight. So embracing intimacy, embracing intimacy. All right, verses 14 through 18. Are you ready? Here we go. Ruth, chapter 1, 14 through 18. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law Goodbye. Now, just a little background. If you weren't here last week, right, Ruth and her husband, they left Israel. They went to go live in Moab. They had two sons that went with them. Her husband dies. Her two sons marry two Moabite women. For 10 years, they live there together. Naomi as a widow with her two sons and her two daughter-in-laws. Eventually, both of her sons die, and now she's saying, it's time for me to go home. So Orpah is one of her daughters, daughters-in-law. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Verse 18 says, and then, then when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing 
more. When, when you're reading the Bible, and I hope that you are, one of the things that you should be doing is asking yourself the question, what is the cause that leads to the result that the Bible's talking to me about? So when the Bible's talking about being reconciled to your enemies, when it's talking about walking in the favor of God, when it's talking about finding hope when there's no reason for hope, there should be something inside of you that's saying, hey, what are the causes? What are the things that I can do? What are the things that I can put into practice in my life so that I can begin to walk in these results and these promises that God has for me? One of the reasons why Scripture is given to us is so we don't have to live a life of happenstance. So we don't have to put the Bible down and say, I hope that happens to me. I hope I stumble across something like that. Now, we believe in the providential hand of God, but we also believe that God gives us instruction that we're supposed to put into practice and that we're supposed to be students of the causal relationships that we find in Scripture. And so as we're reading the book of Ruth, what we're finding here is that there are causes. There, is, there are things that Naomi did specifically that brought her to a place of hope when she began in a place of despair. And one of the ways we do that is we begin to look into the details of Scripture. We begin to look at some of the information that we've been given. And I think part of the information that we're giving here is that here is a woman who's found herself in a foreign land, and she's got two daughters-in-law that are living with her, and she's been walking with these ladies for 10 long years. It takes time for deep relationships to form in our lives. And one of the great challenges that people face when they just jump from church to church to church to church throughout their life is they never stay anywhere long enough for relationships to go deep enough. They never experience a depth of intimacy that God wants them to discover so that when they find themselves in places of despair, they feel alone because nobody knows them well enough for them to trust them with their pain. What we find here is that Naomi has a gift that these two women have given to her because they've spent and they've lived a decade of life together. And because of that, they are able to give each other a sense of hope. I find it interesting that Orp believes, this is another detail, and Ruth stays. It's a reminder for us that there's different circles of friendships that we have in this life. Not everyone you meet is going to be in your deepest circle of friends. And I'll just tell you, in all my years of, of pastoral ministry, over 15 years, I find that most people don't even have deep circles of friendships. They have lots of outer circles, outer bands of friendships, but they don't have anybody that's in the circle that's deep, like David and Jonathan like Paul and Barnabas, like John and Jesus, like Naomi and Ruth. You might have people that, that you have a sense of closeness with, and then beyond that, you might have people that you would consider acquaintances, and then, right, you can understand that there's all these different bands of circles that move out from the center, but most people, if you were to ask them about these relationships that are deep, these relationships that look like that, most people that I meet don't have anybody in that circle for them. And, and one of the great challenges for that is that when you come and you get to a place where there's no reason for hope, there's nobody there in that circle with you that can stand with you and say, hey, we're going to hope together. I know you might not be able to hope, but I'm going to hope for you, and then together hope is going to begin to rise in your heart. That's the gift that Ruth gave Naomi. We talked about it last week. Naomi said, I'm going to change my name. I don't want my name to be Naomi, which means my delight. I want my name to be Mara, which means bitterness. And Ruth, she had, Naomi had somebody in her inner circle who she trusted, who she loved, who she had spent a decade of building a relationship with, who looked at her and said, no, no, we're, no, we're not going there. We're going to believe God together again for good things. 
Not everybody you walk with, not everybody you live with, there's going to be orpas that come and go, but all of us need to have some roots in the inner circle of our lives who represent deep relationships. Proverbs 18.24, let's look at some of these together. Proverbs 18.24. There are friends, this is in quotation marks in my Bible, meaning they're not really friends, There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. That's a big thought, isn't it? Those of you who have family. The the Bible is saying there are levels of friendship that you can find in this life that can even go deeper than friendships that you might have in your family. Proverbs 27, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. And wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. The idea there is that many kisses from an enemy, they're just flattery. It's people telling you what you want to hear so that they can get from you what you want. But a true friend is somebody not going to wound you through betrayal. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But a true friend that wounds you because they're willing to speak the truth to you in love when nobody else will. Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Many of you are familiar with these verses. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. On and on and on and on as we look through the Scriptures, we can find this, this invitation that is given to us that there is a depth of relationship that God wants us to find with each other. And one of the reasons why he wants us to find that depth of relationship is that God knows that if you live in this world long enough, you're going to find yourself in situations and circumstances where you want to change your name from delight to bitterness. You're tracking with me, right? If you have teenage daughters in your home, they want to change their name to delight to bitterness, right, every other day. But for us, We understand that young people, sometimes they go through reactions and emotions that are much bigger than the situation and the circumstance, but if you live life long enough, you realize that sometimes those big reactions, they're warranted because what you're facing is heavy, because what you're facing is deep, because what you're facing causes you to feel what Naomi felt. I think that it feels to me like God has abandoned me. It feels like God has forsaken me. Some of you, you're walking in a story like that right now. And one of the great gifts that God wants you to find is the The gift of friendship that's in that circle that's deep with you who can take you by the hand and help you begin to discover hope. If you're not in a season like that, one of the things that we say to you is, hey, don't wait until then to look for those friends to come because those friends might not exist for you. There's something to be said for living your life in such a way where you're running hard after relationships because it is an investment in your tomorrow. And it's not just so they can be there for you. Come on, it's so you can be there for them. So I've got five things here. Uh, this, this is, so, so I spent a lot of time this week just reflecting on, on some of the guys. There's, there's, there's guys that represent that to me. When I think about Nate Nowotny and Jason Kearney and Tim Rogers and Steve Ruggiero, that men are on the governance team. The, these are guys that when I look, that, in, that are in this circle with me, that I, I go deep with them. And then I think about people like Pastor Jamie and Pastor Justin, a.k.a. Juice, Right? 
You're not, because I'm not allowed to say pastor juice. My kids have told me that. That's you can't say that. You sound like you're 47 when you say that. I, say, I am 47. So, so the, the, these men on the stat, pastors with that you've got to have people that are in this circle. And if you can't think of anybody, then right, you've got to get involved in a life group or get involved. They're not going to happen overnight, but put the time in so those relationships that can come. Deep relationships, these relationships that I'm talking about, they're relationships where disagreements aren't fracturing. If you've got people that you think you're close with and you, and you, you haven't had a disagreement with them for three years, I'm just that you have learned to lie to each other and, you, and you're okay with it. If you're walking deep with people, you're going to challenge each other. You're going to see things about one another's lives that need to be corrected, things that, that you're going to question. You've got to have men. You've got to have men in your life. Ladies, you've got to have women in your life that are going to be willing to challenge you, and you're going to work through those challenges, and they're not going to fracture. They're going to make you better. They challenge us on a personal level. It's got to get personal. I want men in my life who are going to challenge me my value system, my priorities, my attitudes. Are you with me? I want men in my life who are, are watching me close enough to see how res I respond to my wife. I want men in my life who are, are, are close enough with me to see how I'm parenting my children. I, I, want, I want it to be personal. If it's not personal, then it's not going to be transformational. I, I don't want just superficial change in my life. I want deep change in my life. And the only way deep change is going to come is I've got men in my life who are willing to press me at a personal level. Almost nothing is off limits. Some things are off limits, right? If you're married, some things are off limits. There's privacy that husbands and wives have together. We talk about that in our premarital counseling journeys that we go, but, but, but there should be very little that's off limits in your life. I, I am never going to say to any of those men that I just referenced to you if they come to challenge me in some area, that's off limits to you, right? If it's off limits, then they're not in a depth of relationship that I need them in. You've got to be willing to be open. I'm not talking about being open to the world, but there should be a few people that could be in this, this most deep circle of friendship in your life where you're willing to let them talk to you about just about anything. Their no gives us pause. I'm not talking about people that control you. I'm not, I'm not talking about you being assigned somebody that tells you what. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about friendships that are so deep where you trust them so much that when they say, I don't think this is right, it gives you pause. I was laughing a little bit today. I was thinking about, uh, you know, I'm a, a shooting enthusiast. That's one of my hobbies. And, and so uh, I was at the gun show. And, and uh, when it, I usually go every year when it, when it comes to ham. It usually comes a couple of times a year. And I try to get there as often as I can. Vanessa's like, are you why would you go if you're not going to buy anything? I was like, I don't ask you that when you go shop, right? Sometimes you just, I want to look, right? And so, so I'm there. And there at the gun show, it was, in, it was in the winter time, and so there's this long line, right, to get in before the doors open, and so I'm there, I'm walking, I've got my skinny jeans on, and my, it's wet, so I've got my pointy toe shoes, and my herringbone blazer with the patches on the elbow, and my scarf, and my duck-billed cap, and I'm walking down to get to the end of the line, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there's, I, didn't, I almost didn't see them, because they had so much camouflage on when they were next to each other, they, it was almost as though they were invisible, and so as I'm walking by them, I see them looking at me and snickering and laughing, right, as I'm walking by. And, and, and what I thought to myself is that their no does not give me pause, right? <laughs> In fact, what I would say is, I know I'm on the right track because those guys are laughing at me. And then I know I'm doing, 
I'm doing something right. right? That's a funny story about there's people in life, their no doesn't give you pause. What they think, it doesn't matter to you, and that's okay. But if there's nobody in your life whose no gives you pause, I would say you're in trouble. There have got to be people in your life who are willing to look at you and say, I'm concerned for you. I don't think this is a good decision. And when it comes from those people, it should cause you to say, I'm willing to push the pause button. I'm willing to put my foot on the brake because I believe that God has put you into my life to help me live better and live deeper. Do you have anybody in your life whose no gives you pause? We've got to be better because of them. Who are the people in your life you're a better person because they're a part of your life? I am a better person seven years after coming here because of Nate Nowotny and Jason Kearney and Tim Rogers and Steve Ruggiero, Jamie Bell, Justin White. I'm a better husband. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better father. You tracking with me? I am a better person because these people inspire me to live better, to live deeper, to be more. Are you tracking with me tonight? You should have people in your life where if I were to say to you, write down right now three names that are that close to you, that you are a better person because of who they are. And if you don't have people like that, then you've got to go deep in a church somewhere. It doesn't have to be ours, but go deep in a church somewhere where you can begin over the years to come, have some names that you can put on that piece of paper. When you isolate yourself from deep friendships, you isolate yourself from hope. It's one of the great lessons that Naomi teaches us. The prophetic side of this book is that she went from hopeless to hopeful. There's some causal relationships here that we're picking up on because she had this lady in her life, Ruth, that she was willing to go deep with, who was willing to walk with her in a difficult time. She had a circle there that where there was some, she, now she might have just had one name, but come on, that one name was enough to take her from a place of despair to a place of hope. Don't isolate yourself from deep relationships. If you've got a problem with hope in your life, it might be because you've got a problem with relationships in your life. Seeing eternity, all right, seeing eternity. I'm excited about this one because this whole two weeks of sermons birthed out of this one, one idea. It is when, when, when we began to, to really pray about this sermon series, and, uh, and then we, the week came where, where, where it was supposed to launch last week, uh, one of the things that I began to do was just, I, I get out my concordance and say, all right, where, I just want to look at, start reading verses where hope appears in the Bible. I just, I, I want to read just, and so I started, we, we had already done that a little bit a few weeks ago, right, with the New Testament, so I had not done it with the Old Testament, so I'm just getting my concordance out, doing a word search online, and I'm just reading and reading and reading and reading. I just want to find, and all of a sudden, I found some just remarkable things, and then this whole sermon out of Ruth was born out of this one idea and this one thought, because one of the verses that was given to me, and I'm going to read out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible here because different translations render this verse different ways. And I think verse 12 in chapter 1, the Holman Christian Standard and some others get it right. Verse 12. Return home, my daughters. Right? This is Naomi talking to Orpah and Ruth. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope, right? Here it comes. There was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons. Would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? And then it goes on. There is this concept in the Old Testament called the kinsman redeemer. It is an integral part of the Jewish culture. 
Now, the reason why Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, if I were to have a husband tonight and, and, and I were to bear sons nine months from now, would you be willing to wait for them to marry you? And you might think, why did, that sounds like an odd thing to say, but it wasn't for a Jewish person in this time period because they understood the idea of a kinsman redeemer. Now that means lots of things, but one of the things that it means is that if you're in a family and you have an older brother who marries and then dies before they have any children, you have a responsibility to step in and become the kinsman redeemer, right? And all the young people said, praise God that I didn't live as a Jewish man thousands of years ago, right? You have an obligation to step in and marry that woman. Not if you're, mar- not if you're already married, but if you're, if you're not married, to step in and marry this woman and then the first son you have takes your brother's lineage and so your brother's lineage doesn't die you're tracking with me so your first son carries on his lineage and then the rest of your sons will take your own aren't you glad for culture moving forward so she's saying to these women even even if i could bear some are you gonna wait for as long as it would take before they would be of age to, of course you wouldn't. She says, even if I had the kind of hope to, to believe for that, we know that it would just be impossible. There are over 10 words in Hebrew for the, for the word hope that we have in English, each having a subtle emphasis different from the next. Some focus on the idea of waiting because we understand that it's not hope if you're not forced to wait a little while. Some have an emphasis on the aspect of expectation. Some focus on the idea of trust. Others focus on confidence. Some focus on refuge. I love this next one, the one that focuses on a childlike outlook, this idea that you're just naive, right? This is part of having the ability to hope when there's no reason for hope. We're just naive when it comes to our belief in the goodness of God, just like a child. Sounds like a little something Jesus said, didn't he? Unless you become like one of these. And then they've just got one that's just straight up hope. But then I've got this word down in the lower right hand corner, cord. It's interesting to me that there is a word for hope that has double meaning and the double meaning that it has, that it means cord. And when we stop and think about it, I think we say, well, of course it does. Because part of hope means that you're tethered to something in your tomorrows that you're believing is going to happen. This idea of a cord, it means that that you're attached to something that there's no reason for it to happen, but the hope that's in your heart is connecting you to this dream and this belief that you will not be convinced that it cannot happen. That verse in Romans, right? Abraham, he had a hope. His hope was a cord, that he had a reason to believe that God's promise on him that he was going to become the father of nations even when he was a hundred and his wife was in her 90s and they had not yet had one child together. There was a cord that connected them together to the promise of God. And so I started digging around a little bit and, and it got me thinking, I wonder where in the Bible this word cord appears. And the word cord this same word for hope, appears for the very first time in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 2, 17. Anybody want to guess what that's about? Because we just preached on it a few weeks ago. When Rahab hangs the scarlet cord, it's the same word for hope, out of her window, and we talked about that, it was a prophetic sign that her destiny was tethered and connected to the coming of the Messiah. This is the first time this word cord appears in the Bible. 
right here in Joshua chapter 2. And then it's repeated again, I think, in verse 22. So then it got me thinking about, I wonder where the word hope appears for the first time, right? It appears as the word cord for the first time in, in Joshua, but where just the word any, just any word for hope? Not just this word, but any word. So if I were to ask you tonight, where in the Old Testament would you guess is the first use of the word hope? When I was kind of playing this game with myself, I, I, Exodus was my guess. You tracking with me? I thought, it's got to be Exodus, right? Because Moses is in the basket, and he's the savior of his people, and a nation is born. I thought it's got to be Exodus. Anybody else? Any takers? Where do you think it's going to be for the first time? I know Genesis. You would think, right, Genesis? No. No. It's not in Genesis. Not one time. I know some of you are like, oh, I'm going to find it. You go find it, right? (laughs) Genesis? Uh Uh-uh. Exodus? Nope. Now, we know it's not going to be in Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, because when you're reading through the Bible of the year, those books are hopeless, right? Can we do it, right? So, Leviticus, unless you're a Bible geek like me, but remote, right? So, we know it's not going to be there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh uh-uh. Joshua, nope. The, The Hebrew word appears there, but it appears as court. Does that make sense? Joshua, no. Judges, uh uh. You know, you know what's coming, right? Ruth. The word hope does not appear in the Old Testament. Out of all the, out of all the times it appears, it's, it's all throughout the book of Psalms. It appears for the first time in the book of Ruth. And you know which one is picked? It's the word for cord. And you think that's a coincidence? Oh, I don't think that it is. I think God is putting all kinds of stuff like this all throughout the Bible. It's why we have a teaching pulpit here at the City Life Church because there's just a wonder and a sense of awe that he wants us to discover when we begin to realize the hand of providence in even putting the stories of the Bible together for us. There's a reason why this book of Ruth has the first word of hope and then that word cord is attached to the book of Joshua because if you've studied it all, you know that this prostitute Rahab, she has a son, and her son's name is Boaz, and Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, and the genealogy of Christ is protected and saved because there's hope through the cord that connects us to the promises of our tomorrow. The Bible is full of promises like this, just waiting for us to find. Don't be lazy in your study. If Naomi was here tonight, what if we, Naomi came up and she just did a little life story with us, right? If you're old school, she would testify, right? Naomi comes out from behind, and the lights come down, and the spot comes on her. What would she say to you? She would say, hey, I know what it's like. Not everybody can say that to you in your life. You tracking with me? I'm careful not to say it unless I can mean it. But not this woman. She could say, I'm telling you, I know where you've been lived in a, a place where I was different from anybody else. My husband died. My sons died. I was nothing, living on the street, not a penny to my, you with me? Her story, her circumstances were desperate, and she was hopeless. I think she would say, hey, I know what it's like to be in the story of your life in the page that you're on, you just want it to turn. But what she would say to you is, it will turn. 
Don't let the page of your today define the story of your life. It's just part of a chapter. That chapter is going to come to an end. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, she would say, even though it wasn't written yet, but it's coming, right? Because she's prophetic. She would say, right, there's seasons to life. Just hang in there. It's going to turn. It's going to change. I think she would say, I'm so glad I did not give up. I'm so glad that I had someone in my life, in my inner circle, who loved me enough to say the things that I did not want to hear, and I trusted her, and she began to help me find hope again. When you're in it, you don't see the end of the story. I think she would say that to you. I get it. I understand it. She would say, when I was in my story, I didn't know the end like I know it today. It was overwhelming on the page that I was on. But what she would say to you is, come on, there is a God who knows your name, who sees your pain, who's writing a story, and he has another page that's yet to come. There are more chapters in your book, and if you would just let your heart do what God has made it possible to do, to hope when there's no reason for hope, to move out of emotion and into virtue, that you would begin to see that there is hope on your horizon that's worth believing in. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. Come on, we love God's Word. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see, come on, they're going to last forever. Your circumstances are temporary. Your destiny is eternal. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne, 2 Corinthians 7, 18 through 13. Did I say 18 through 13? You can't go from 18 to 13, right? All right. I'm like, where is, okay, all right, here we go, eight. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. This is people in your inner circle. You tracking with me? I am not sorry, Paul says, that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. I'm just, these are the kind of friends you need, right? They know it's not going to be easy. They know it's going to be hard. There's something inside of them that doesn't want to do it, but they do it anyways because they love you. Now, I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, although for me, if this was me, I would say, okay, maybe a little bit because I was mad at you, right? Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. Like, we don't like these verses in the Bible. Right? This is saying that God wants us to be sorrowful at times. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, because worldly sorrow is an emotion, it's not a virtue, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. 
Just see what this godly sower produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal and such readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wrong, I wrote to you so that in the sight of God you could see yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. You need people in your life that are going to talk to you like this. You need the Word of God to talk to you like this. We say to people all the time, we are a come-as-you-are church. But when you come, We're going to talk to you like this. We're going to love you right where you are, but I just want you to know, we're going to be the people that love you enough to have the hard conversations. We're going to be the people that love you enough, like the promises that I gave coming into this, uh, at the end of the last series about the, the, at our 1 Corinthians 12, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to look together into God's Word together, and we're going to say, what do you see in me when you see me in light of God's Word? This is what Paul's giving to this church. This is the gift that we're going to give to each other. We have got to be willing to have people in our lives that we trust enough to challenge us, to press us, because there is something at stake. And what's at stake is your story. What's at stake is your destiny. What's at stake is that God has something that's supposed to happen in your life, things that are supposed to come out of your life, things that you're supposed to do, a person that you're supposed to become, and this is part of the journey. If you don't have anybody in your life who you are willing to let stir up some sense of sorrow in you because of a life that you've chosen or because of decisions that you're made, then you're not letting people in deep enough. When you only see your present circumstances, you will never see the hope on the horizon of your tomorrow. Now, I know it's hard to look past present circumstances. I get it. There are times in our lives where our present circumstances are so big you, can't, you just can't see around them, right? There's times in your life where your circumstances are so big it's blinding. And stories like this are given to us, stories like the story of Naomi to remind us it's just a page, it's not the last chapter. And you have got to be willing to have a sold-out belief, a conviction, a tethered, a cord of hope connected to you, to the promises of God, to the goodness of God. That your day today might be dark, but there's something on the horizon that God is going to bring you to that's going to make it all worth it today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. You know, I noticed this little... Um, device here on the platform, and I was asking Tyler, our, our, our sound, sound guy, if you see here, there's this little uh, small kick drum attached to the big kick drum. You see that? And so I was asking, asking Tyler, I said, what is that? And he said, well, that's a microphone that Chandler built. Because that's what Chandler does. He just builds cool stuff like that, right? What am I going to do today? I think I'll build a microphone out of a snare drum. So I was saying, Tyler, well, tell me, tell me how that works. And he said, well, he said, Fred, you know, most, most, most people, they put a microphone in there to, to pick up the, the bass out of the, out of the kick drum. The problem with that is that a standard microphone, the diaphragm in there is so small that it doesn't ever get the lows, the real deep lows that make your chest rattle, which is one of a sound man's favorite thing to do to you in the room, right? 
He said, but see, with that microphone, it's a subwoofer that's been converted into a microphone, and, and, and that enables it to pick up the deepest of lows, and it amplifies it in the house. So during worship, I'm looking up there, and, and this is the thought I feel like God dropped in my heart. Sometimes, I, what's, this is what I heard God say, sometimes I amplify the lows in your life to make them even louder. Why would he do that? Because he wants to bring us to places of a desperation revelation. There are times in our lives where until we come to the end of ourselves, we cannot get to the beginning of who we've been called to be. And some of you here tonight, you might be in that place. You might be like Naomi, where you feel like God is amplifying your lows, making them louder than they need to be. That's not because he's forsaken you. It's not because he's abandoned you. It's not because he's angry at you. He's trying to position you. See, when you look in the story of Ruth, and if you haven't already read it, it's a short book. I hope you read it. I hope you read the whole thing. You find that what God is doing is he's corralling and moving like, like Naomi's like a herd and, 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 and God's hand is like a sheepdog that's just kind of driving her forward into her destiny. And sometimes it takes lows to get us there. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me right now. I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm not that pastor and we're not that church. Right? Where we trick you into doing 14 different things. This is just the only thing I'm going to ask you to do. And then we're going to worship together. If you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I feel like I'm in a place where God is amplifying my lows. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. Just going to invite you to raise your hand. Hands up all over the place. <clears throat> Father, you see every hand that's raised in this auditorium right now. And Father, I pray that in this season of the lows being amplified in their life, that hope would begin to come alive in their heart. That where they have doubts, that they would lay them at your feet. That, that, that where they've, they've, they've run from you and they've, they've abandoned maybe a spiritual family, that this is going to be their season to come home. That if they're here tonight and they look into that inner circle and there's no one there, that they're going to take some practical steps to begin to build towards relationships like the ones that we talked about tonight that are such treasures to us, God. And if they are here tonight and the lows just seem to be amplified in their life, that tonight's going to be a night where they say, I'm not just going to look at this page. I'm not just going to see the circumstances in front of me. That I'm going to believe that there is something of the goodness of God on my horizon. And I'm going to tether my heart to the promises of God. And I believe that they're going to be yes and amen for me. In Jesus' name, come on, stand with me. You, you see, there's something of this story of the book of Ruth that is deeply prophetic. Because when we get into the New Testament, what we find is that there's this word that God uses to describe us. And it describes us as the bride of Christ. And one of the reasons why it describes us as the bride of Christ is because we have been widowed by our sin. We've been widowed from our destiny. We've been widowed from our purpose, from our own selfish action. And so the Son of the Father, who's the King, kinsman redeemer of all humanity has stepped into this world to rescue us, to restore us to the family. Father, as we worship tonight, let it be that Jesus 
that there would be a little bit more in our voice, a, a, a little bit more of a smile on our face, that you are a Boaz to us. And like Ruth, we come to you in this time of worship and we lay ourselves down at your feet because you are the one who has rescued our soul. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.